These were the games we waited for for almost five years. The Orioles at home taking down the team with the best record in baseball, being led on the day by Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez. I'll break down the Orioles' win, plus some O's news and notes, coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, May 10th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap a fun Orioles win as they beat the Rays 4-2 on Tuesday night. Grayson Rodriguez shined on the mound and Adley Rutschman broke out of his slump to help the Orioles take down the team with the best record in baseball. And then we get to some Orioles news and notes because the O's made a flurry of roster moves on Tuesday, including putting Ramon Arias on the injured list. We'll talk about how long he could be out. And a top pitching prospect was called up to the big leagues for the first time. Plus, Mike Elias talked to the media for the first time in a while on Tuesday. We'll break down some of his interesting comments on guys like Jordan Westberg, Colton Kowser, and others. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items apply. Exclusions apply. So the Orioles take down the Rays by a score of 4-2 on Tuesday night. And we'll start with the recap of that one as the O's break their season-long three-game losing streak. It's nice when you're in May and your longest losing streak has been three games, but the Orioles snapped that, winning it 4-2. O's now 23-13 and on the season and now have a chance to go and win the series later today. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 4-2 victory over the Rays. And the first thing you need to know is that Adley Rutschman broke out of his slump in a big way on Tuesday night. Rutschman entered the game 0 for his last 18 at the play. And with only four walks in that stretch as well, it was truly at least a mini slump for Adley Rutschman. He hadn't had a hit since the Kansas City series last week. And he continued his slump with just a weak ground out in the first inning. All of a sudden, he was 0 for 19. And things weren't looking great for the O's. Well, they started to capitalize a little bit in the third inning, they got a run home on a Jorge Mateo RBI ground out. Still couldn't get a hit with a runner in scoring position, but at least tied the game at one. Then Cedric Mullins doubled with two outs. And up comes Adley Rutschman against Rays starter Zach Eflin. And Adley breaks out of the drought in a huge way. He snaps the 0 for 19 with a missile home run that heads out onto Utah Street. 111.1 miles per hour off the bat was the hardest hit ball of Adley's career. It traveled 407 feet and plopped down onto Utah Street for a two-run homer that gave the Orioles a 3-1 to lead. For Adley, it was his fifth homer of the year. And not only did it break, 
his stretch of 0 for 19. It also broke the Orioles' little tough stretch of not getting a hit with a runner in scoring position because the homer came with Mullins standing on second base. Now, Adley did not get another hit in the game, although he did draw a walk later. It was just good to see him go yard, get the power back, break the offer, and hopefully this starts a nice hot streak here for Adley Rutschman. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Grayson Rodriguez looked really good against the lineup that has scored the most runs in baseball and had his longest career start. Rodriguez against the Rays on Tuesday night goes five and two-thirds innings, allowing two runs on seven hits. He struck out four, he walked two, and he allowed two solo homers. It wasn't just his longest start, it was also the most pitches he's ever thrown in the big leagues. 101 pitches on the night, lowered his ERA to 5.08 on the season. And the Rays, they did hit him hard a little bit. Like, there's no hiding that. He gave up 12 hard-hit balls in his five and two-thirds innings. And with only four strikeouts, it's not like he was missing an incredible amount of bats. He only had nine whiffs, which is one of his lowest numbers of the season. Yet he was effective, and yet he pitched deeper into the game. And that was huge for Rodriguez. I thought, despite not getting a lot of swings and misses, I thought his stuff still looked good. The fastball velocity was up. He's been averaging 96 on the year. He was 97 to 99 on that fastball. I mean, he was sitting 98 miles an hour with the fastball. It was looking good. The changeup had some really good drop on the night, he got four of his nine whiffs on that changeup. He threw it a lot. You know, it was 31 four-seamers and 26 changeups. He went to the cutter a good amount. I was probably most impressed by his curveball on the day. Rodriguez threw a lot of strikes in this game, and he didn't get any swings and misses on his curveball. In fact, they only swung at the curveball three times of the 18 times that he threw it, but it was in the strike zone a good amount. Five called strikes, two foul balls, one ball in play. Actually, his final strikeout locked up Luke Rayleigh on a devastating curveball. Also showed a lot of emotion in the fifth inning after he had allowed a homer and a couple of hits. It was a 4-2 game, first and third, two outs, and he gets Randy Arozarena to swing through a 98-mile-per-hour high fastball to end the inning, and Rodriguez was fired up on the mound to end the inning there. And the big thing is, yeah, he gave up hard hits, but he limits the damage, and both the runs were solo homers. It was Wander Franco in the first inning, with his home run that put the Rays up 1-0. And then it was Taylor Walls in the fifth inning that made it a 4-2 game. But solo home runs, they just they just don't beat you. And especially in today's game with the home runs up, it's okay to give up solo homers. The best pitchers in the league do it. But if you limit the other damage, you're going to have success. And that's exactly what Rodriguez did on Tuesday. And it's even better knowing that he was coming off his worst career start, getting beat around by the Royals on Thursday follows it up with his longest career start and gets the W and gives the O's a chance to win the game. Third thing you need to know, keeping it on the pitching side, is Yinier Cano was Yinier Cano once again for the Orioles. An inning and two-thirds of relief for Cano. He did allow one hit, only his third of the year, but he struck out two and did not walk anyone. Now, he did allow two hard-hit balls, which is not like Yinier Cano, and the one hit that he did give up in this game, which was a two-out single in the top of the eighth inning, in which he then left the game after that, it really kind of felt like, for Cano, the first time he gave up a legitimate hit all year. The only two other hits he allowed this season 
where an infield hit on a crazy Baltimore chop, and then that weird RBI single that Bobby Witt had against him on Thursday where he just kind of reached out and hit a slider that was a foot off the plate and just barely trickled it on a slow grounder into right field. This was a legitimate line drive into right for a base hit that Cano gave up. It took him a while. It took him over 15 innings, but he finally gave up a legitimate hit, but he still goes scoreless. Fourth thing you need to know from this one, Felix Bautista did get the four-out save for the Orioles, but he was shaky once again. Bautista came into the game after Cano gave up the single, and there was an error by Kyle Stowers that let the runner get to second. So he comes in in a 4-2 game, runner on second, two down in the top of the eighth. And Felix comes in and immediately, just again struggling to find the strike zone with really any consistency. He walks the pinch hitter Brandon Lau and throws a wild pitch, so there's runners on the corners. Then he kind of finds the stuff again, drops a great splitter in there to catch Taylor Walls looking to end the inning. But then he comes back out there in the ninth, walks Josh Lowe, walks Manuel Margot. Some of the pitches weren't necessarily even that close to those two guys. And all of a sudden, Bautista has the tying run at first base in the top of the ninth with still no outs, and he's thrown 24 pitches already. And you're thinking, you know, they've already used Cano. You're thinking, how in the world is Bautista going to finish this game in the ninth inning with no outs in the ninth and 24 pitches and with him laboring as much as he has over his last few outings? Well, he then found the strike zone and he got a little help from Yandy Diaz, who then grounded into his third double play of the night. It was a nice 5-4-3 turn from Gunnar Henderson. And then he throws good enough fastball splitter combo to, even though Wander Franco hit the ball hard and hit it to deep right field, kept it in the ballpark for a game-ending flyout. The Orioles win it. He only threw five pitches to get those next three outs after he threw 24 pitches and only got one out before then. And what it really tells you from Felix is, I am worried about him. It's concerning that something mechanical is going on where he's not finishing his delivery like he should. Everything is missing high or he's spiking the splitter. There's not a lot of in between. The fastballs are all missing above the zone. That's really concerning me. But you saw it when he struck out walls. You saw it when he got Diaz to ground out and you saw it when he got Franco to fly out. When he is in the strike zone, his stuff is still so dominant that he just has to throw a few pitches in the zone and he can get the outs that he needs. So yeah, he hasn't been as dominant as last year, and yeah, I am concerned, but the stuff is so good. It's it's top five stuff in all of baseball that if he can just find the zone every couple of pitches, it's good enough to get outs for him. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 4-2 win over the Rays is that Gunnar Henderson hit a triple. And listen, it was only a one-for-three night for Henderson, and he's still hitting 179 with a 665 OPS, but these are good things. He jumps on the second pitch that he sees in the third inning, laces a triple into right center field. It was a leadoff triple for Gunnar Henderson, hit the ball 100 miles per hour off the bat, ripped that ball into the gap. Jorge Mateo would then score him, the next batter, with an RBI ground out. And that was huge for Henderson. And yes, he got out his next couple of times, but he did not strike out. Okay. He didn't hit another ball hard, but... He did attack the ball, which was huge. That triple came on the second pitch that he saw 
And then the flyout he had in the fourth inning came on the first pitch that he saw. It was a hanging breaking ball, and he just kind of missed it and flew it out to left field. He did ground out in the sixth inning as well, but he was attacking. That ground out was on the third pitch, I believe. We've been thinking, you know, he's being a little too passive. The swing decisions are good, but maybe a little too passive. This was a good step forward for Gunnar Henderson. And as the Orioles win the game 4-2 and tie up the series at one game apiece, we're going to be seeing a lot more Gunnar Henderson over the next couple of weeks. Now, we've been seeing him a lot, even with the struggles, but he has been sitting against some lefties. O's are trying to find some spots for him. That's not going to be the case for the next few weeks, at least. Henderson's going to be in there at third base pretty much every day for the Orioles because they lost Ramon Arias to an injury, and he could be out for a significant amount of time. So that caused a flurry of Orioles roster moves on Tuesday. So when we come back, we'll break down all those moves, why the Orioles made them, and which players they impact the most. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by So Rare. So Rare is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. And unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, SoRare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. And win or lose, you still own your cards, and there's no cost to play. And they have MLB Game Weeks over at SoRare, where if you rank high enough at the top of the leaderboards, you can win awesome prizes, which can include SoRare scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. So head to SoRare.com slash LockedOn. That's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E dot com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash LockedOn to start playing today. So the Orioles take down the Rays 4-2 on Tuesday night, but it happened with three new guys on the roster for Tuesday's game as the Orioles made some roster moves on Tuesday afternoon. They called up three players and they sent one guy down, DFA'd one guy, and put another guy on the injured list. So I wanted to break down those moves and tell you how they impact the Orioles at least over the next few weeks. So let's start with probably the biggest news to impact the Orioles, and that is that Ramona Rios has been placed on the 10-day injured list with a left hamstring strain. Now, this is something I talked about on Tuesday's episode, if you want to go back and check that one out. Arias left the game in the ninth inning on Monday night, had a two-out single, but came up limping, going down to first base, immediately left the game. The Orioles called it a left hamstring strain pretty much the moment the game was over. That's when you usually know. When they know immediately what is wrong, that generally means it's a little bit more of a severe injury. I figured they'd put him on the IL, and the Orioles did announce it today that he would be going on the IL. And Mike Elias did talk to the media on Tuesday. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he said, quote, Ramon Arias is going to miss a good bit of time. So that is concerning because Arias has been good once again for the Orioles this year, playing a gold glove level defense at third base and second. And in 112 plate appearances, he's quietly been a really good hitter for the Orioles. He's been clutch. He's been best in high leverage situations for the O's. Six for eight in high leverage spots with nine RBIs this year. 
He's hitting 278 with a 375 on base and a 381 slugging overall. Not hitting for a lot of power, only one homer. But he has a 118 WRC plus on the year, and he's been really valuable for the O's again. He's not a middle-of-the-order bat, but he is a guy the Orioles are going to miss. And as I mentioned, we're going to see a lot of Gunnar Henderson. Mike Elias did say on Tuesday that you're going to see Henderson, and really Brandon Hyde said it. Like, you're going to see a lot of Gunnar Henderson at third base now with Ramona Rios out. So the Orioles did have a infielder to add, and I talked about how it was either going to be Taryn Vavra or Joey Ortiz. Well, the Orioles do go with Taryn Vavra. They have recalled Vavra to take Arias' spot on the roster. Vavra's been down in AAA since the Orioles demoted him back on April 27th, and he hit the ball pretty well. In his nine games in AAA, he hit 286 with four doubles. That included a five-hit game the first day he was back down there. Now, Vavra has not been good in the big leagues this year. Just a 59 WRC plus in his 31 plate appearances at the big league level before being sent down. But he gives you versatility. He can play third base, which is good with Arias out. He can play second base, which is good with Arias out. He can play the outfield as well, which is good because Kyle Stowers does continue to really, really struggle. And he gives you a left-handed bat against right-handed pitching. What he also does is become your third catcher. Vavra, because Maverick Handley got injured in AAA while Vavra was down there, Taron Vavra caught five innings in AAA Norfolk while he was down there over the past nine games. He said it was his first time catching since high school, but Vavra did say on Tuesday he brought the catcher's mitt and the gear with him to Baltimore, so they could use him as a third catcher. Now, the reason why Vavra is the third catcher because the previous number three catcher, Luis Terenz, was designated for assignment. The Orioles traded for Terenz a couple of days ago after he was DFA'd by the Cubs. They acquired him for cash considerations, and he joined the roster as a third catcher because we knew the O's wanted to use, you know, Adley and McCann as catcher in DH and have a third catcher, similar to what they did for a little bit with Anthony Bemboom earlier in the year. But I talked about it when they made the Luis Terenz trade that he may not play much and he also just may kind of be DFA'd pretty quickly. Well, that's exactly what happened. Luis Torrens did not enter a game with the Orioles, despite being here for the last little less than a week. Torrens did not play a game at all, and he gets DFA'd. Now, the hope for the O's is that Torrens will clear waivers and that they can keep him in their organization as catching depth because I will say Luis Torrens is a better baseball player than Anthony Bemboom, at least at this point, that Anthony Bamboo, Maverick Hanley, and Mark Colesvary. Those are the three catchers the O's have in AAA right now. Terenz has a better track record in the big leagues and is better than all of them. So that does give them an upgrade if they want to carry three catchers again at some point this year. But he will have to clear waivers. If you're asking, well, why did they even trade for Terenz? Well, they DFA Joey Crable to get him. Crable cleared waivers yesterday, stayed in the org. The Orioles probably knew that was going to happen. And you just make sure you can get him. Then you send him through waivers so you can keep him in your org. They basically wanted to target him. They did a lot with guys this offseason, like Ryan O'Hearn, where they'd trade for him, then DFA him, they'd clear waivers, and they'd keep him in the org. Speaking of Ryan O'Hearn, he came up to take Terenz's spot on the active roster. O'Hearn, who was actually sent down, 
when Terenz was acquired a couple of days ago, comes back up to the big leagues. O'Hearn, who was playing sparingly as kind of a bench bat, he went down to AAA, went five for eight with a double and two RBIs in his two games in Norfolk. He's just too good for AAA. He's kind of a 4A player at this point, but the Orioles bring him back to get another left-handed bat. And really the reason why the O's went with Vavra over Ortiz and went with O'Hearn as well over Terenz is that they're going to see a lot of right-handed pitchers here coming up. So they saw the right-hander in Eflin on Tuesday night, even though they didn't use Vavra or O'Hearn. They're going to see a righty in Yanni Chirinos, at least as the bulk guy for the Rays here on Wednesday. They're going to see at least two and potentially three right-handed starters this weekend when the Pirates come into town. So you don't want as many righties as you'd like lefties. And you'll have to think that Vavra and O'Hearn will see themselves in the lineup at some point over the next four games. So that's really the reason why they chose those two over Joey Ortiz and Luis Torrens, who they'd more so want against left-handed pitching. And then the last move, and, and maybe the most exciting one, definitely the most exciting one out of the three moves they made, is that the Orioles called up Drew Rahm to the active roster. And he did not appear in the game on Tuesday, but whenever he does, it will be his Major League debut. Now, if you're not familiar with Drew Rahm, he's been basically a top 20 Orioles prospect, but never quite, he was a couple of times, but never quite a top 10 Orioles prospect, kind of in that 10 to 20 range, since they drafted him in the fourth round out of high school in 2018. So he was part of the last Dan Duquette draft, but they did add him to the 40-man roster this offseason after he had a great year between AA and AAA last year. And Rom has been spectacular in AAA Norfolk so far this season. Six starts for the Tides. Rom has a 2.87 ERA and a 3.52 FIP in 31 and a third innings, a 25% strikeout rate above league average versus an 8% walk rate, which is right at league average, and a 55% ground ball rate is way up at his career high. So you can tell his pitch is working a little bit better to get those ground balls. What you'll see from Drew Rahm, four-seam fastball that's 91 to 93. He's ticked that velocity up a little bit. He used to sit more 89-90, but he's not a hard thrower. I wouldn't necessarily call him a soft-tossing lefty. He's kind of a step up from that, but that's kind of the mold he comes into. Also throws a sinker, which really helps him get the ground balls. That's more 89 to 91, his old four-seam velocity. He does throw a good sweeper from the left side at 82-83. That can be his strikeout pitch against lefties. And then his strikeout pitch against righties is kind of a split change. It's a pitch he actually learned from John Means, which is really important because John Means is a good pitcher and his best pitch is that changeup. Rahm's made it more of a split change, but he learned it from Means. It sits around 84 miles per hour and that's his strikeout pitch against right-handers. Now, Rom got called up at a really good time because he was coming off the best start of his career. Back last Wednesday in AAA, his last outing for Norfolk, six scoreless innings, two hits, a career-high 11 strikeouts to three walks. He allowed just two hard-hit balls and had 15 whiffs, including 11 on the fastball and sinker combined on just 99 pitches. He was dominant, and he's going to come up here now. The Orioles made it clear, Elias and Hyde said it, He's not coming up to join the rotation. Even though he's been a starter throughout his minor league career, he's going to pitch out of the bullpen for now. He's going to be in kind of that long relief role, maybe an extra lefty if they need it at any time. And I will say he's most likely going back to AAA 
when Michael Givens and Dylan Tate return. We're thinking either of them could be back maybe early next week. So give Rom maybe a week at most in the big leagues. I'm sure he'll pitch at least once. There's a chance, I will say, that he comes up here, doesn't even pitch, and goes back to AAA because the O's don't really need a long relief type at any point. But he's up here for maybe not just emergencies, but to be a guy with length in the bullpen. And he also can give you different arm slots. He'll drop down to a sidearm slot sometimes, kind of similar to Rich Hill. It's fun to watch as well. But he's a fun pitcher to watch. This is not his like full-time call-up yet, but this is a step for Drew Rahm, and it is really cool that he gets this spot. Now, you might be asking, why was it not D.L. Hall? We'll get to that in just a second. But Rahm had to replace someone on the roster, and it was Keegan Aiken. So it makes sense that a left-handed pitcher that can give you bulk replaces a left-handed pitcher that can give you bulk. But Keegan Aiken really wasn't giving you bulk. I mean, he threw two innings, allowed a home run on Monday night in his last outing before being optioned. Aiken was going to be definitely one of the guys who went down when Tate and Givens came back anyway. So the Orioles figured they might as well bring up Rom, who might help them a little more than Aiken has. Aiken on the year, 13 appearances, 10 and two-thirds innings, a 5-9-1 ERA. Now, a 3-8-2 FIP means... He's maybe gotten a little unlucky, but a 20% K rate, 8% walk rate. His ground ball rate way down from 49 to 36%. And his pitches that have been good in the past are just not good now. The, the fastball is getting hit at 320. Opponents are slugging 714 against his slider. He just hasn't been good, and so he was going to get sent down anyway. Maybe Rom can help the Orioles in the short term more than Aiken has before Tate and Givens return. But speaking of Tate and Givens, we did get a further update on them on Tuesday. In fact, we got some updates and some notes on a lot of players as Mike Elias spoke to the media on Tuesday afternoon after the Orioles made all these roster moves. So coming up next to finish off the pod, we'll break down some of what Elias said and what it means for the Orioles moving forward. So before the O's defeated the Rays 4-2 on Tuesday night and snapped their three-game losing streak, they made the three roster moves that we just talked about, and then Mike Elias spoke to the media as well and said some interesting things. Some of the things I've already talked about, like he said, it was Vavra and O'Hearn coming up because the Orioles are facing a lot of right-handed pitchers coming up here soon. But some other things he did talk about that were interesting. Now, I mentioned D.L. Hall. Now, you may be wondering, well, the Orioles replaced Keegan Aiken with a lefty from AAA who can give length. Why was that Drew Rahm and not D.L. Hall? Well, Rahm is also on the 40-man roster, so it's just as easy to call him up as it is for D.L. Hall. But he said they went with Rahm because Elias said they're open right now to moving D.L. Hall into a relief role in the big leagues, and I think they're going to do it at some point this year. But he said they still want to use him as a starter for now. And calling him up to be in an uncertain relief role would certainly kind of throw off his rhythm as I don't think he is like fully 100% still built up yet. He's still one or two starts away from that. Now, he did come up, you know, a couple weeks ago to face the Tigers, but that was to be the 27th man for a doubleheader. So he knew he'd only be up for one day. And it was right around when he was supposed to start anyway. And he kind of knew he would pitch in one of those doubleheader games. And he did. He threw 75 pitches, threw three innings, and basically got another start in when he was with the O's. So that fit more with his timeline. This role really wouldn't. 
So that's why they went with Rom over DL Hall. But it's important that Elias did say they're willing to use him in relief as they did last year, because I do think that's how he's probably going to help the Orioles, at least in 2023. Now, speaking of relief, Elias did not give a further update on Dylan Tate. All we know now is that he will pitch tonight in AAA Norfolk. But we do know that Michael Givens, although he is staying in AA Bowie for now on his rehab assignment, he will pitch his first back-to-back this week. So he's going to pitch tonight. And then he's scheduled to pitch tomorrow night as well. Dylan Tate has already thrown his back-to-backs. This will be Givens' first back-to-back. That's really the biggest hurdle you got to get over when you're rehabbing as a reliever is pitch on back-to-back nights and have somewhat of success. So keep an eye on Michael Givens for that. Continuing in the pitching conversation, he talked about Cole Irvin a little bit. And Elias basically said Cole Irvin is an option for us. He said that he's in consideration to come back to the roster, but he said they have five starters who are healthy and pitching well enough right now, and, and that has been the case over the last couple of games. So it does sound like, though, Irvin has worked on some things and, and gotten closer to what the Orioles hoped him to be when they traded for him. Now, in terms of the young hitters in AAA, he did talk about Colton Kowser and Jordan Westberg, probably the two guys that Orioles fans are clamoring for the most right now to be called up next because Joey Ortiz did already get a taste of the big leagues. Now, he talked about how tough it is to kind of rotate out guys like Vavra and Ortiz and Stowers right now because you're playing the balance of you need some of them at the big league level, but you don't want them to sit on the bench. You want them to get regular at-bats, and he said it was a balancing act between those guys. But the next guys up are Westberg and Kowser. Now, he talked about Kowser and basically said Colton Kowser hasn't had much AAA time yet. What that tells me is they're not quite ready to call him up. But he did talk a lot about Westberg, who has over 500 plate appearances in AAA at this point. I mean, he's done all he can in AAA. He hit a couple more homers on Tuesday night, hit a three-run shot in the first inning. I mean, he's just crushing the ball in AAA Norfolk. And Elias basically said they're having conversations about Westberg. He's in consideration for the big league roster, but it's not happening yet. We will see. One thing that was interesting, though, is that when the Orioles did DFA Luis Torrens on Tuesday, all the players they called up, Drew Rahm, Ryan O'Hearn, Taron Vavra, were all already on the 40-man roster, which means DFAing Torrens did open up a 40-man roster spot. So right now, the Orioles only have 39 players on the 40-man roster. Remember, Kowser and Westberg are both not on the 40-man. They would have to be added to it to come to the big leagues. So just keep that in mind. They do have an open spot for the first time this season. And it's not for Tate or Givens. Neither of those guys actually went on the 60-day injured list. So it's not like they had to open up a spot for those guys. So keep that in mind. There is a spot open at this point. And then, unfortunately, the last thing that I really wanted to talk about that Elias talked about were extensions. He was, of course, as he should be, asked about you know potential contract extensions with the Orioles' young stars. You can see the quote Andy Koska of the Baltimore Banner tweeted it out. It's just basically a word salad. I would call it a word vomit from Mike Elias. He called it augmenting contracts instead of extending them. He said just a bunch of jumbles that basically meant we're not talking to guys about extending them right now. That's how I read into it. It's unfortunate. It sucks. John Angelos seemingly is not going to pay anyone. Mike Elias is okay going along with it at this point. I mean, good on the media for asking him about it. It was just one of the biggest word vomits I have ever seen. 30 seconds of him saying nothing, but what it told me is, yeah, we're not chatting with anyone right now about an extension. Hopefully that changes, and hopefully they can lock up Adley in the offseason, but 
that's where we're at right now. But at least the O's in the field continue to play good baseball, breaking the losing streak, beating the Rays 4-2, and they will go for a series win here on Wednesday night. It's a 6:35 start once again at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as the O's will look to win a series over the team with the best record in baseball an inch a little closer to the Rays who sit in first place in the AL East. Dean Kramer will get the start for the Orioles. Looked a lot better Friday night in Atlanta. He's had a rough season so far, but hopefully he can build on that. And Jalen Beeks will get the start for the Rays, but he will be an opener. The 29-year-old lefty Beeks has a 6.75 ERA in 16 innings this season, but it looks like actually Yanni Chirinos, the right-hander, will be the bulk pitcher. So by the third inning, you'll see Chirinos in there. He'll pitch most of the game. So even though a lefty is starting, we could see the O's actually still stack the lineup with left-handers because eventually the righty in Chirinos is believed to be pitching in the game. And what you can do is listen to tonight's game as the O's play the Rays. You can catch every pitch of the Orioles' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the XFM app. Just search Orioles. But that'll do it for today's episode. I'll be back tomorrow recapping Game 3 between the O's and the Rays here on a Thursday episode of the pod. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.